Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the ESG podcast. Today we're joined by the distinguished ecologist, Dr. Chris Gibson, who for 30 years worked with Natural England, the government's advisor on nature conservation. I can call Chris distinguished without fear of contradiction because I know in 2009, he was given the David Bellamy Award of the British Naturalists Association, recognizing a naturalist of distinction. He began his career at Nature England by identifying sites of special scientific interest across the country of Essex but more recently advised the government on matters of high risk on a national scale, such as helping to put sustainability into offshore wind farm developments around the UK. All these topics are meat and drink to the ESG Foundation, and we're particularly keen to bring senior leadership teams and their CEOs together with leaders in the field, such as yourself, Chris, to focus on their responsibilities and commitment to the environment. So thank you for making time to talk to us today. Good to meet you, Clive. Discussions about the environment tend to be rather doom-laden, Chris, um, about the existential threats we're all facing. But as an expert in the field, do you have grounds for hope? What examples could you point to that things might be improving, perhaps? Well, uh, if I didn't have hope, I wouldn't have been at it for 30-odd years. I'd have given up long before now. I, I, I've got to be an optimist. I have to be. I am, by definition, and I think all conservationists have to be. The There are signs of hope and I think we can do no better than to draw attention to what's happened over the Covid uh, past three months. The fact that nature has in many ways in many places recovered because of the reduction in disturbance, fewer vehicles on the roads, the reduction in pollution and so on and so forth. We've seen things and I've seen it from my own window here in Essex with house sparrows returning to the developments in which we live Okay, it's only one example, it may be, uh, but it was entirely concurrent with the COVID lockdown. So things are out there to happen, to come back if we give them the chance. What is needed is for us to give them the chance. That means people need to change. People, individually, collectively, uh, companies, governments, all have got to change to give the wildlife the chance to recover. Uh, I mentioned governments there. It is perhaps ironic that um, uh, our government at the moment is not the most uh, green, shall we say, in terms of their uh, record on the environment. And indeed, the uh, the past 10 years of administrations uh, have not been, but they need to be. Uh, as I say, it's ironic that they, the name of the, uh, uh, the, the party uh, comes from the same roots as the word conservation. Interesting. I... Um, yeah, well, of course, we're recording this on Super Saturday when everybody is supposed to be going to the pub. Um, but actually, in my experience, a lot of people are very responsibly just enjoying walking, keeping distance from each other. I mean, I live just uh, near Epping Forest. And I think people are very much more connected to nature, um, as you say. Um, and we, I mentioned earlier in the introduction that um, you started your career recording sites of special scientific interest. Um, is an SSSI easily identified or, or by definition are they always unique? No, they're not unique. They share common characters. Um, in legal terms, what they share is the ability to meet the published scientific criteria upon which they're identified. So they are based upon uh, hard written understood criteria about the value of individual organisms, habitats and such like in the national and international context and therefore uh, are defined accordingly. 
the uh, of course the we do need that definition because uh, there are always challenges to SSIs because they do impact upon the way people can use the land. Or, or to put that another way, they impact upon the ways that other people, others can exploit nature. And therefore, we do, in a democratic society, have to be able to justify why we have placed those designations. Right. And, and how many SSSIs are there around the UK? I look well in the UK as a whole. I think there's now. I, I've been out of it for four years, so it may have changed. But uh, something like four thousand, I think, around the UK as a whole. Right, and and those are both biological, or sorry, um, botanical, and possibly also f uh, animal related. Are they, or is it just? Oh yes, of the, yeah. bi biological ones and geological exercise as well. We're covering geological sites. Uh, and essentially they range from those which are just nationally important through to those that are of great international importance right. in terms of their value to our uh, preservation of our management of and our understanding of the countryside. And now on that, on that sort of theme, you were, were directly involved in, I understand, the sighting of where um, offshore wind farms Mm. Should, should go. I mean, we probably do a whole podcast about the rights and wrongs of wind farms and people not wanting the massive turbines spoiling their view of the countryside. Um, but what are the considerations when you're thinking about a wind farm, um, you know, and particularly what makes them sustainable? Right. Well, I mean, as you say, we could talk about this forever. It's, it is an interesting topic. It's on many, many different levels. Uh, one could argue, of course, that uh, the presence of a medieval windmill in one's line of sight adds masses to the value of a property. <laughs> of course. And uh, it's often said, you know, are we compromising by uh, putting the wind farms out at sea and so on and so forth? Well, uh, no, we are not. Um, compromise is a dirty word in nature conservation. Anyone who has a basic understanding of transaction analysis knows that both parties lose in compromise. And when you've got a limited finite resource, such as the nature conservation value of an area, lose, 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 goes on to eventually lose it all. So we, we don't talk about compromise, we talk about win-win solutions. And that's what we were achieving out in the offshore wind environment. We recognise that uh, there are landscape implications of wind turbines. We recognise that there are bird implications when the birds fly into them. Mm. Uh, so uh, what I was doing was delivering sustainability by ensuring that the proposals were made or permissions were only given to those sites where uh, sufficient research had been undertaken to actually recognise that those were not areas of the sea that A, were either filled with birds or porpoises or seahorses and so on and so forth get the permissions there get the wind farms up and then get the wind wind part of the solution out there by ensuring there would be no or reduction in uh, in fishing intensity between the turbines thus creating a nature reserve for fish as well and on on that on the decision as to where to site, would you say the um, electricity companies and the owners of these wind farms are, are, are very sensitive to the, uh, the the relationship they have with people like yourself or advisors like you, or are you basically a necessary evil in the planning process that they have to overcome? I mean, what's the relationship like at a at a working level? 
As far as the offshore wind companies are concerned, and some of whom were are based uh, on um, fossil fuel companies as well, uh, but a particular subsets thereof, we actually were working, knocking on an open door. Uh, they recognised they needed our working with us to get permissions. They also took a lot of their engineering expertise from one of the extractive industries, the oil and, wind, oil and gas offshore, and therefore they realised how they could do it badly, and therefore they, how, if they wanted to do it well, what they should do. So, yeah, we were knocking on an open door, and in fact, it's, we were all, almost working with the leaders of the industries uh, in order to actually persuade government to make the right decisions. Sounds rather optimistic. I mean, I think it's remarkable how much of our electricity is now generated by renewable sources. Yeah, 40%. Yeah, yeah I thought I read that recently. Um, but those are very much concerns of big business and, and governments. I mean, what can smaller enterprises or indeed individuals do to, to help the environment, for want of a better phrase? You know, what, well, what on, 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 should we do now? There are so many, 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 many things, but I mean, on the question of uh, renewable energy, we can, individuals, companies can do that for a start themselves. Uh, the best example I know of, I went down to Kainan's Cove in Cornwall a few years ago, and the cafe there uh, is run, uh, it's down in the bottom of the cove, and it's run entirely upon the power from solar, solar tiles, which are, have been put on the top of that uh, on the top of that little Cornish cafe and it looks just the same as it did. The tiles are the same and it's run entirely off-grid. So the fact that they can do that, if everybody could do that, well so much the better. I've, I've long thought perhaps we could do exactly the same to every single uh, street light in the UK, get them run off-grid by having little solar um, packs and, and batteries up at the top of the cowl. All these sorts of things could be done by individuals and it's not just energy, it's also generally about affecting our, impact, our, our footprint on, on, on the world. So reducing emissions of all, in all ways, uh, not by, just by turning to low energy, uh, low carbon uh, energy sources, but also to reduce uh, energy requirements. Also, all sorts of emissions such as pesticides and herbicides, and everyone and everybody can... Uh, reduce those uh, sides of things, whether they're individuals, whether they're companies, and we can uh, replace the footprint on the, the, the national world. Interesting. I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to probably make you laugh now, but I understand, plant, well, planting trees is often the, offers as a solution, isn't it, to help reclaim nature and reverse the effects of climate change. Um, I know Boris Johnson pledged in February that the UK is going to plant 30 million trees a year. Um, that might be a big uh, a big number but you know obviously that's the Prime Minister for you. Um, apparently though it's not just as simple as planting a tree is it to uh, assuage the damage we've made on the environment? Absolutely not that's a very simplistic solution to uh, one of the very, very many problems. Uh, first of all planting trees in itself, uh, the, the word planting, uh, if, you, if you want more trees you don't need to plant them, trees will plant themselves but in actual fact People like to plant trees because it gives politicians the opportunity to uh, be photographed next to a spade doing something good for the environment. Uh, I'm a bit of a cynic in that respect. Uh, but nature will do the planting for us. Then in terms of climate change, of course, um, 
trees aren't the only uh, answer. There are many, many other possible solutions as well as planting trees, uh, restoring salt marshes, restoring uh, peat bogs, uh, looking after the ecological health of agricultural soils. All of those aspects of the natural environment are huge carbon sinks and need to be encouraged. It's not just about planting trees. The other solution, or the other issue is of course that planting trees can also be a problem in its own right. Uh, climate, climate breakdown is not the only existential crisis in town. Another one, as, as big and possibly even more proximal, is biodiversity loss. Uh, we're losing species left, right and centre at a rate unprecedented and we need those species, the earth needs those species, so uh, extinction is as big a problem as climate change. They are linked but they are not entirely overlapping. Planting trees in itself can exacerbate species loss. If you plant trees, you, you come from an area of Epping Forest, there are plains in Epping Forest, if you planted trees all over those plains, the open ground butterflies, bumblebees, birds that live in those plains would never uh, be able to persist, it would cause extinction. So planting trees has got to be planting trees in the right place or allowing trees to grow in the right place and not seen as a panacea for all the future ills of the countryside. I think that's going to come as a that's going to come as a surprise to a lot of people um, because often you know tree planting is regarded as the um, the easiest not the easiest thing necessarily but a demonstrable act that we can all do. I, I'm thinking um, a number of the people and companies I've worked for are cited you know an out of town commercial estates. Um, what could people who run those estates do perhaps if your recommendation that it's not planting trees that's the only solution? What would you recommend people? do to you know but not only make their commercial um, business park prettier but also um, more in tune with the environment in which it sits is there anything they can do because by the sound of it you don't think they should be planting avenues of trees well they could certainly plant some avenues of trees provided they don't plant them uh, where nature doesn't want them to be uh, and they could plant the right sort of trees which which will do best for nature but equally they should su support and sustain their local grasslands they should maybe have uh, consider the idea of a mixture of green roofs and solar panels on all of their buildings in order to um, reduce energy use but also to sustain biodiversity and really importantly stop getting out there and and spraying everywhere with herbicides you know roundup is one of the scourges of the uh, modern world it's the residues of it in everything and people feel they've got to spray it because they've got to try and uh, eradicate from human existence the the green things that try and shape uh, sh try and um, hammer away at the hard edges we enforce upon the world. That's interesting. Um, you mentioned a, um, a business that's using solar panels um, to, to sort of transform the way um, it works. Um, are there any, could we, we'd like on, on the podcast, we do like to champion um, best practice wherever we can find it. Are there any big organisations whose behaviour you particularly admire or think we should applaud? Well, having, having, having worked in sus delivering sustainable development for 30 odd years, there are some uh, I've worked with who, who were exactly 
absolutely exemplary by promoting the idea of sustainable development by allowing time for it to happen rather than pushing on the developments at uh, over faster paces which don't allow sustainability to develop uh, i can signal i can signpost three real areas we've talked about offshore wind already even those companies which have uh, a, a foot in the um, the fossil fuel industry as well were very good. So people like Centrica and Dong, I worked with both of those, both interestingly have rebranded um, as they have gone out of the fossil fuel industries. Uh, in my work with uh, major port developments, particularly around the Essex coast, but also elsewhere, I worked with some very good ones. The best of all was the Harwich Haven Authority, who delivered some major enhancements to its uh, ports in on the uh, Suffolk-Essex border, uh, in a way which was entirely sustainable with the environment, uh, by creating offsetting habitats to... Uh, to, to actually offset harm, uh, necessary harm, and, and, and harm that could not be avoided by their developments. And also, uh, I worked on a very large uh, reservoir expansion scheme in Essex, uh, which was uh, designed, and this was taking a, a reservoir which was already internationally significant in wildlife and then substantially modified and in doing so the Essex and Suffolk Water Company, the proponents of that scheme, not only delivered sustainability but actually went beyond sustainability and produced something which is so much better now than it even was then. So uh, they've delivered their commitments to the people of Essex by giving them water, but also delivered their commitment to the wildlife of Essex by and the world generally by giving wildlife more space. I think um, what I'm hearing from you and what I've learned certainly over this period of COVID and listening to you is that we need to be looking at the world in a slightly different way, perhaps, to the one that we've historically become accustomed. Is, is that, would that be fair to say? That's absolutely the case. We have to look at it in a different way. And people are looking at it in a different way. But I think there is, there is a genuine wish for us not to go back to the old normal uh, following COVID. We want to go back to the new normal where Green Deal should be a genuine Green Deal, should be actually not only uh, hoped for, but required prerequisite of future growth and developments. The uh, genuine, I say genuine Green Deal. But the also people have got to go with it. Now, people ha are, have got to change. People are capable of change. Two of the biggest mass movements of the past year prior to COVID, of course, were people movements towards a greener environment. The, the school strikes uh, generated by Greta Thunberg and Extinction Rebellion, mass movement on the streets of people wanting to do more for the environment. Well, you, the you could sometimes challenge the, some of the decisions that that movement took in order to achieve its aims, but it certainly had media penetration. And uh, I applaud that in, in every single way. If anyone wants to follow what you're doing now that you've left Nature England, uh, you've a terrific website, uh, chrisgibsonwildlife.co.uk. Uh, we've added a link to it on our project discovery section. Um, I knew we would have run out of time and I'm afraid we have, uh, but I do hope you'll come back and talk to us again, Chris. Um, but for now, thank you very much for 
talking to us. And thank you, listener, for listening. Um, do share the link with everyone you know might be interested in this and other podcasts. Thank you.